Welcome to the first episode of Creative Distillation. My name is Jeff York, I'm a professor of entrepreneurship strategy here at the Leeds School of Business, and I'm also the research director for the Dimming Center for Entrepreneurship. I'm joined today by Brad Warner, my co-host. Hi, Jeff. Thank you very much. Um, Jeff and I actually have the pleasure of working together at the Leeds School of Business. I'm faculty director for entrepreneurship uh, right now, uh, but primarily my role is a practitioner role where how do you actually take the academic model and create tools that are effective for our students the day they walk out the door. So um, I'm really excited to do this with you, Jeff, to talk about current academic uh, entrepreneurial research and to distill it down into how actually does this help someone that's starting a business right now, someone that's in a growth stage in those different types of uh, business life cycles. Absolutely, and uh, that's what we're going to try to do, or at least I'm going to try to do. The nexus for this idea came about uh, through conversations Brad and I were having, uh, we've known each other, what, four or five years now? That's correct. That's correct. Uh, but now, now Brad has agreed to uh, formally join our faculty, which uh, <laughs> I'm just thrilled about, uh, full-time. Uh, and he's going to be working on organizing all of our teaching for all of our entrepreneurship students that's across MBA, executive education, undergraduate, uh, and there couldn't be a better person for the job, in my humble opinion. Well, we, thank uh, you very uh, much. I think I'm, I'm just thrilled that. he agreed to take this on, uh, because Brad's background is not as an academic. Uh, I've had him as a guest judge in many of my classes. He's generously given his time, and uh, there's always this trickle of fear that comes into the student team's eyes as they see him uh, hear about things uh, ranging from uh, small-scale commercial aviation to a restaurant concept uh, to a new app to a bakery and Brad's like, oh yeah, I've been involved in starting one of those. I've also started one of those and uh, here's why I've done this. <laughs> he literally has done almost everything that uh, that I've ever exposed him to. He had some hand in it. Uh, so I think that you bring a great wealth of experience to our students. Thanks. I really appreciate that. Uh, I, on the other hand, uh, did work uh, before I became an academic. Uh, not to imply that academics <laughs> don't work, but uh, I worked in the real world. I uh, did some work at a technology uh, startup incubator at one of the national laboratories. Uh, also did a lot of work during the dot-com boom uh, with many failed ventures uh, that I'm really proud of uh, that don't really exist anymore. And also worked at a major financial services company uh, doing partnerships before I decided, you know, this is, uh, this is just too hard. I'd rather write papers than actually do this stuff. Uh, so I went back, did my PhD at the University of Virginia, came here to the University of Colorado. I've uh, been here about 10 years now. And my role uh, as the research director for the Deming Center is to uh, figure out how to support entrepreneurship research here at the Leeds School at CU. Uh, we do that across campus, not just at the Leeds School. So we're involved in partnerships with the law school, with sociology, with the music school, uh, but also to try to make that research uh, interesting and useful to students. And that's what led to this idea for a podcast. Brad and I were continuously having conversations where I tried to explain to him what we uh, folks that write these papers are doing and why it might be of value to someone uh, other than other <laughs> academics. That's right. And we thought, well, let's see. That could be an interesting way for us to do something different and talk about that with each other uh, podcast. And so we started to think about, well, that's a good foundation, I think. But what else do we both enjoy? Uh, there's many things we're both are interested in. That's right. uh, and one uh, turned out to be we both have uh, a love of Colorado's boom in uh, beverages. 
That's right. Uh, well, and, and Jeff, just the benefit of being in Boulder, Colorado, with the the startup scene generally, but more specifically in the spirits and in the beer industry, is really, really incredible. Um, we're fortunate enough, yes, to be able to do this um, at a really, really cool distillery, but we're also fortunate enough to have uh, Raleigh with us, who... Uh, is here actually Riley's walking up right now okay. who's a co-founder of the business yeah and we are here at DV8 that's a D a V and an 8 right Riley that's correct DV8 spirits uh, we plan to do this podcast pretty much from a different location uh, featuring a different beverage it won't always be alcoholic I was supposed to mention that uh, it just happens that uh, you know the name of the podcast of course playing on uh, Joseph Schumpeter's uh, famous idea of creative destruction creative distillation because we're trying to creatively distill these ideas down into useful tidbits and Brad will tell me if I'm successful in that probably won't be but I'll try and truthfully Jeff looking at some of these academic papers you do need a vodka or a bourbon <laughs> in front of you <laughs> And the other thing that um, I'd like the listeners to know is that most of our podcasts will be recorded on location at a really, really cool, um, hopefully distillery, but uh, different businesses around town. <laughs> Brad doesn't and, like beer. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like bourbon much better than beer. I say hopefully um, a brewery. But, but um, them up. please excuse the background noise if there is any. Yeah, that's... No way for us to do this uh, in the field and not get a little noise. So, right, which is great. Uh, but yeah, hey, it's, it's a real place. We thought we'd start the podcast off, and, and, and we also have a plethora of cold-brewed uh, coffee companies in oh, Boulder, yeah. uh, as well as kombucha. I uh, know uh, several kombucha guys. But anyway, we're not here to talk about them. We're here to talk about DV8. And uh, you were saying your most popular spirit is a vodka, Raleigh. That is correct. It's our flagship product, uh, the thing that kind of separates us in the industry is we're 100% rice-based spirits here uh, over at Fort Anthem Pearl in Boulder. And as we're sitting here tasting, I'm just going to kind of walk these gentlemen through the tasting. Awesome. Thank so you. because it is 100% rice-based, it's going to be a little bit more similar to a sake, the Japanese-influenced spirits. I like it already. you right. smell it, you're going to get a little more of that bubble gum, that banana, a little bit of anise. Uh, it's a little more viscous. So the reasoning why behind rice is you're going to get a lot more of these profiles through. As opposed, Can you explain viscous? Viscous, yes, is just the consistency of the liquid itself. So it's almost, it's a little bit more like, it's almost like a simple syrup. It has a thicker quality on the palate. Mm -hmm. So it coats your palate as opposed to water, which just goes down really quick and easy. It has more of a residual effect. It has legs, quote unquote. Yeah, I, I was going to say, I can right, see legs coming up on the side of the glass yeah, like you would with a really nice scotch or something exactly, like that. Exactly, or a wine. You, you know, uh, liken it to those two different things. So as you taste it, you'll be able to get... A little more activity on the nose, so it's not a neutral vodka. It's an active vodka. No, I mean, I'm already like, okay, so so I guess we should talk about our qualifications to do this at all. <laughs> um, I'm a certified beer judge, the Beer Judge Certification Program. Oh, there you go. I awesome. don't drink a lot of uh, vodka, so there I expect fully to not like this since I'm not Excellent. a vodka drinker. Excellent. But already <laughs> smelling this, I'm like... You know, usually my, my sense of, of vodka is I pick it up, I smell it, and I'm like, mm, yeah, that smells like alcohol. Okay, mm -hmm. great. Uh, here, exactly so. I'm almost getting like esters, like, mm -hmm. exactly like right. banana, yeah. maybe peach. Yep. Okay. Yep. A little more of that stone fruit. And the idea behind this vodka is we wanted to make it more enjoyable and a little more active. So as you, when you mix it in things, you're just going to make a vodka tonic and you won't really notice it. But when right. you drink it neat by itself, it has character sure. as opposed to just trying to take everything out. We want to leave some stuff in. Would right. you classify this more as a sipping vodka then versus a mix? I would, yeah. So I drink it neat. I drink it rocks. I drink it martini. I'll put it in mixed drinks, of course, as well. But traditionally, I, liked, I like the flavor of alcohol when, yeah. it's, when it's made well. 
Yeah. Okay, great. Well, having great. been like, what, 16 degrees the uh, last few days. And That's right. Two exactly. feet of snow in Boulder go. is the perfect bet. <laughs> no, this is, is perfect. Let's try. Apropos. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers, guys. Thank you so much for hosting us, Ryan. Oh, really yeah, really, we really appreciate it. And yeah, the vodka tastes fabulous. Mm. Oh, my goodness. That is smooth. Yes. I'm a vodka drinker myself. Oh, good. Um, wow. I, I am not a professional. I used to be a professional. So sure. now I would say I've moved back down, <laughs> I've, I've moved back down to the semi-pro so, leagues. Semi-pro but, uh, sure. Holy anyway, cow. That's yeah. what I like to liken myself as well. Yeah, right. It is unbelievable. Thanks it has, so it has uh, actual flavor to it. It does. That's pleasant. Yeah, so, that's I mean, the idea. Right? I've never had that's anything it. like this, Jeff. I've never actually. had vodka. Thank you. And, and, and I mean, I had a, a friend who was exchange student to Russia. And he uh, he brought all this vodka back and was telling me how it was all different. How we had to. You guys know this thing where you like uh, if you don't have anything to chase your shot with in Russia, you you smell the other person's scalp. Uh, <laughs> I've never heard of that. Yeah. Sure, that's a new one for me. Uh, he, he could he could have just I could be totally disobeying disinformation. Uh, Hugh, if you're out there and hearing this, then uh, congratulations. Well, now I'm going to start applying that to my customers when they come. Yeah, in. yeah. A free shot if yeah. So, if you if you like smell that's the chaser. You smell the scalp, but uh, usually yeah. it's like but 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 even that I mean like that was okay. I was like yeah, I guess it tastes like vodka. this. Actually, is really nice. really really good. Hey, so Raleigh, if someone wanted to try this, um, yep. how how would they actually track you down and, and get Absolutely. a bottle? Absolutely, you can look us up on the internet. Uh, DeviantSpirits.com is the website but i would recommend going to hazel's uh here locally oh, yeah. in boulder and all the big liquor stores throughout colorado but primarily hazel's is where we do a lot of business and uh ask any of the reps for uh deviate vodka and they'll great right to it great well I, I, it's totally worth a try and if you get a chance stop into um the distillery really cool space too so yeah, congrats cool. what, what is you. the address of where we are and we are at 2480 49th street Unit E's in Edward here in Boulder, Colorado. And you say you're making a bourbon now, too, as well. We are making a bourbon as well. We are just releasing three new products over the last few weeks, so we're just in a huge growth phase right now. That's fantastic. Congrats. Congrats. And then, uh, oh, go ahead. Oh, so when I was thinking, and Raleigh and I were talking before we um, started the, the podcast today, and Raleigh... In the entrepreneurship world, you, you're unique because you were able to start your business purely through bootstrapping. Correct. Do you mind talking about that for a minute or so? Totally. Yeah, absolutely. So when we were starting the business, we knew it was something we wanted to do, but we were very reticent to give away equity because obviously at the onset of a business, giving away equity, what's the sense in that unless you're 100% happy, right? right. So I was a server at the Buff over here, this, the restaurant over here, just oh. working my butt off 5.30 yeah. in the morning until 2 in the afternoon and coming here and working here all night. And that was about a year and a half, two years of that. And the benefit of it for us was just one, uh, it's that sweat equity that I think is really important. You know, you pour your heart into something and you're going to treat it better. Yeah, you know, throw absolutely. cash at something, you're going to have a little more of a removed perspective of it. Sure. Uh, so that's half of it. And the other half of it for us is just like, you know, save that equity. We're serious about doing this in the long run. And for us, it, you know, the bootstrap was the only way that really made sense to us. And also, mm. I think it's a really good way to prove ourselves to, we now have a couple investors who have really come in and everyone loves seeing that, that we've put our heart and soul, yeah. everything, all of our cash. Skin in the game is skin it's huge. Skin in the game. Yeah. Skin in the game is huge. And it also just shows a lot about how, uh, who we are as people that we're able to take nothing and turn it into something mm-hmm. uh, can you just speak to maybe your largest or your biggest entrepreneurial challenge at getting the business growing yeah uh gosh i would say time energy resources you know uh for us the biggest leap was i think the misconception of what our market was going to be hmm. right you know you do endless market research and then you actually open your business you know nothing starts until day one you and open then, your doors and then that's all that's, wrong. that's exactly and then that's that's really day one so for us it was yeah. okay we're just going to sell alcohol but what really we've become is more of an event space and a safe space here in boulder colorado so we throw a lot right. of dance parties we do a lot of LGBTQ fundraising, that sort oh, of thing. Awesome. So we're more of like our, our mission statement has become is now radical self-acceptance for self and others. So what ah. we're really actually in the business of promoting is self-acceptance, 
live who you are, be your best self, all that sort That's of thing. Awesome. But through the the lens of, you know, like we have glow parties where people paint themselves up with paint and, you know, wear scantily clad outfits or they'll come in and you know, be newly out in the in the queer community, and that's 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 what who we want to support. It's great. So you've tapped into a whole another community that was sort of looking for more of a home, and right. you're providing. And that. and we are that as well. You know, we are our community, and we sure. represent that demographic, and so we want to be. And that's really the, what the business has become. Well, we're awesome. so grateful that we get to have an opportunity to affect people's lives. Well, per- personally, I, cool. I think that the community is grateful to have entrepreneurs like you. And Absolutely. and Jeff and I talk about this a lot as well on how entrepreneurship can actually effectuate social change. And I think that that is really important. And I think that yeah. you are a testament to that happening right now. We're so definitely that's trying great. to do it as much as we can. And we find that you know the more we lean into that aspect of the business, yeah. the more successful we become as opposed to leaning into our concepts of what we want to be. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, we always talk about this with students a lot, actually, because they they always come up with opportunities. I would call them uh, great opportunities for Google. Right. <laughs> it's like, yeah. like, yeah, that'd be great. And if you did it, then Google could take it away like that, right? Exactly. Uh, why not think about who you actually are? And I don't mean like you know the courses you took. Mm-hmm. Like, what is your identity? What mm-hmm. do you care deeply about? And then think exactly. about how can you align the business with that or create a new business from that? And, yes. and that tends to be. I mean, and the research actually shows, Brad, okay. fact, that uh, folks that do that, that's what expert entrepreneurs do. People, uh, there's studies showing that people who have founded multiple successful businesses uh, are people who start with who they are and who they know and build out from that rather than the opportunity that's sitting out there on the horizon. Yes. Yeah. Authenticity, and that's what we found what people respond to in our business is people are like, oh, this is true for you. This is, you actually live this. Right. And then they, then they buy into your brand. Well, and you have a great product. Bottom line, it doesn't work without the great product, uh, yeah. but it doesn't work also if you're not authentic, yeah. right, right. which is important. And I actually think that being authentic then leads into self-awareness and those other types of things. Yeah. It's really, really important as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Um, those are those are fundamental, foundational tools yeah. that you need to understand before you go into well, it. And it's so true of like so many of the, the industries here in Boulder too. Like, you know, I mean, we're talking about craft brewing, craft spirits, as well as, well, we're going to be talking a little bit about the organic foods industry today. as well as rural entrepreneurship um the sense of authenticity is what allows you to differentiate sometimes yeah totally awesome maybe we can get you in the class to come talk about yeah yeah whatever you guys need this has been a real pleasure thank you wonderful thank you you. uh this is great really appreciate so uh that was awesome and i honestly i mean i'm not saying this because these folks are being nice enough to host us here i'm saying it because i genuinely enjoyed my drink of vodka that we had uh, and I don't think I've ever said that in my entire life, even when I was too young to even be drinking vodka. <laughs> in fact, I know I didn't enjoy it then because, uh, you know. Well, no, it was great. Uh, yeah, it, no, it was it's great. really good. And uh, we got a bottle. Uh, Brad and I are both going to buy a bottle because we both like bourbon a lot, even more than vodka. Uh, this is their DV8 uh, whiskey. Uh, awesome label. You can see it bringing in sort of the Colorado deer elk feel here. Uh, really like the branding on this too. It's really clean, modern, distinctive. Yep. It's beautiful. Uh, I think it's cool. So we're gonna we're just gonna leave this up here. I don't know if we're gonna get to open it. Maybe we will later. Let's we'll see. Uh, once I start talking about academic papers, maybe Brad will open it. Uh, <laughs> won't be able to stop him. So the the idea here was, um, you know, we were having this conversation about uh, academic papers, and then Brad was just kind of like, yeah, I I know these things exist. 
I have no idea why, uh, what you guys do, who would read this stuff, and why it would matter. Uh, and, you know, I, I got to admit, I've, I've thought the same thing myself as someone who writes it. Uh, but I, I, I did think that this would be a good opportunity, rather than us just having sort of a, a broad-ranging discussion about the nature of academia and that kind of thing, uh, let's look at some papers. Uh, you know, every, every month, uh, journals, academic journals crank out a whole bunch of papers and publish them. That's and right. then people like me uh, read the ones we find interesting. And so uh, I was looking at the papers I chose. I don't know how many we'll get through. We're new to this. Yep. Uh, well, we, here's the other thing, Jeff, that I'd like to just, yeah, sure. just bring to the forefront yeah, is that you're also an entrepreneur. So by... Uh, so, so, I, I wouldn't claim no, no, that no. title. But you but, are, uh, you are. Uh, well, that's and, very kind. I, and you I take have, great so you have that. a filter. You can also, you can relate to what's going on in the academic world, but you also can relate to the practical tools oh, that are sure. needed out in the field. Sure. And so I think that your filter bringing these uh, papers to light is actually really, really an important part of this process. Well, I hope so. Uh, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I think it's, I think it's, you know, one of our goals for this was how do we uh, communicate, you know, the value of research more broadly to our stakeholders? Because, you know, it's interesting being in an entrepreneurship center in a university like CU at the Leeds School of Business. Um, you know, a lot of our stakeholders are not academics. Uh, in fact, most of our stakeholders, certainly in the community, are not academics. That's not to say we don't have relationships and sponsor research conferences and bring guest speakers. In fact, we're doing that this Friday. Um, we care a great deal about research, and it's very important to us. But, you know, there's an awful lot of people who care about what we do and are very passionate about that we also want to explain why we care about these things. So, uh, with no further ado, I don't know how many papers we'll get through. We have three. Uh, Brad, you uh, did not read these by my instruction. Correct. I wanted to save, uh, I, I think Brad sleeps okay at night, so I didn't want to, you know, <laughs> uh, make him have uh, any more of a sleep cure. But, uh, but I've chose three papers, and we'll, we'll see if we make it through all of them. Uh, the first one I wanted to look at, uh, I love this title, by the way, uh, Urban Farmers and Cowboy Coders Reimagining Rural Venturing in the 21st Century. Uh, and the title is, uh, I think, pretty evocative. And the other reason I chose this, uh, first of all, this is a forthcoming paper. It's in the Academy of Management Perspectives. And Brad, just Stop me anytime with any questions like, what the, what the hell is the Academy well, Management Perspectives? first of all, <laughs> I can't even get beyond the freaking title. <laughs> I mean, that title that's, had to keep someone the, up a, a, a couple that's, nights. That's where the, the podcast went off the rails and, and it never recovered. Uh, no, uh, yeah, so it's interesting. And, and again, we're going to try to stay on the papers. But uh, again, this is supposed to be a broad discussion. Yeah. Well, well let's, so let's what, stop there, though, because... If, if we look at these titles, it's interesting. Let's, if we look at the three papers we have, right? Yeah. There's a colon in every title. <laughs> and this is sort of the thing about academic papers. It's always um, something evocative or hopefully evocative, then followed by a colon and something about what the paper's actually about. That's right. So we'll see that pattern emerge again. Again, it's very interesting. It's a very, very um, codified and clear format to these things, the way they're done. Okay. These papers are a little funky, actually, that we're looking at this week. So for me, it's always, let's cut to the chase. Yeah, yeah. How can this help me? Sure, sure. Well, okay. Well, we're not going to get there just yet. No, I know. Uh, yeah, yeah, anyway. But uh, we'll try. So, so first of all, uh, I also wanted to do this paper because it is, uh, it is in press at the Academy of Management Perspectives. So the Academy of Management is this over, uh, overarching body of management scholarship. And it has multiple journals. And Perspectives, uh, in the past, was supposed to be the one that... Uh, was more appealing to practitioners, sort of like Harvard Business Review kind of thing. Okay. Uh, but now it's become more like, hey, we're going to offer a broad perspective on a topic. 
It's not necessarily research in the way we often think about trying to answer a specific question. It's a perspective on something, usually trying to be evocative and a little bit uh, kind of rubbing, uh, you know, saying, hey, there's some problems here. And the last reason I want to do this paper is that the first author, Richard A. Hunt, uh, Rick Hunt, as we know him here at the CU uh, Lead School of Business, is an alumni of our program. Nice. Uh, really interesting guy. Absolutely a, a very seasoned and successful entrepreneur uh, who entered into academia as sort of his second career. Uh, and uh, it's cool to see someone who really does have the gravitas and experience now writing, and Rick has been very successful in publishing in very good journals, uh, along with his co-authors on this one, uh, David M. Townsend, also of Virginia Polytech Institute, uh, Stefan Korsgaard, uh, who's at the University of Southern Denmark, and Alexa Snar, who is uh, also at Virginia Polytech. So those are the authors of this paper. So I love the pedigree there, especially when you're of talking course. about an, an entrepreneur writing it. Yeah. And we, this is something we were talking about off camera a moment ago, though, maybe this being our first go at this. Can you kind of explain the process of problem identification? Sure. Right. So entrepreneurs, in a sense, look for a problem provide a solution, yeah. test it. Yeah. Um, how does that work in the academic world? Well, okay, so it's interesting because this paper actually talks about the way that we normally do that as being a problem. Uh, it's, it's interesting, problem identification in academia as a problem in and of itself. <laughs> Not trying to get too metaphysical here or anything or, or paradoxical, but um, so this paper is about uh, reviewing and then discussing future directions for research on rural entrepreneurship, which actually is a fourth reason I wanted to do it, uh, because Brad has been very involved in our Deming Center efforts to go out into rural Colorado and work in communities to educate folks on entrepreneurship and help them out. All volunteer work, I might add. Yeah, uh, and I'm, well, I think that rural um, outreach is really, really important for not only us at the university, but uh, people that live in rural states. There's been a great migration to cities, yep. and how, how can we actually give the, the smaller communities tools yeah. to create businesses there that people want to stay and live that great lifestyle, which they're um, so fortunate to be able Absolutely. to. Absolutely, and this paper talks a lot about that. And so what's interesting is the, the basic gist of the, the front end of the paper is we know that's necessary. We know that's necessary in the United States. We know there's a huge divide uh, politically, socioculturally, uh, increasingly economically between urban and, and rural citizens. Yet, and, and in the entrepreneurship realm, we know things like exactly what you just said, Brad. We need to, as educators, especially we're in a state of Colorado, I mean, we have a huge, you know, the state is really divided. It's, it's, it could be easily split in half. The front range right. is urban. Uh, seems like a big city, including Boulder and Fort Collins. And we're very much, uh, you know, there's, there's a Whole Foods on every block here in Boulder or something that looks like it. Uh, and then we have a huge expanse of the rural part of the state, which, 30 I, know, miles away. which I know you go out to quite a bit sure. for recreation, as do I. So, so we spend a lot of time out there and realize, yeah, they don't, they don't always think uh, as fondly as we would hope of the University no. of Colorado. And, and if you even look at it at a broader picture, it's like we live in two different countries. Yes, right? absolutely. And how do we bring that together? Yeah. Um, once again, I, I believe that entrepreneurship can uh, create social change. Right. And I think that this is a, uh, a good lead into that as well. Absolutely. And so... Interestingly, back to your question, how do you figure out uh, what is the problem you want to do this research on? So, so Rick and his co-authors here have said the problem is there's research on rural entrepreneurship, but um, it's in all these different fields. It's happening in economics. It's happening in sociology. It's happening uh, in, rural, in, in geography. Uh, it's not happening very much in the management literature 
In fact, uh, I think they, they have less than 12 papers published in what we would consider a top management journal are on rural entrepreneurship. And less than 1% uh, with that title, less, far less than 1% is the exact wording of this. So this is not a topic that's gaining traction in the management literature. And, and, and so they think about why. And their, their why is the way that we in academia often think about what we should study is what they call the gap approach. We look for a gap in the literature, uh, preferably something related to theory that we can then write a paper about because it hasn't been written yet. And this is something that, that um, doesn't always really work that well. As an editor, I see this all the time. People have said, well, nobody has studied this phenomenon. And, and the, a good editor and a good reviewer's response is like, maybe that's because it doesn't matter. Uh, and That's also, right. it leads to very much uh, an incremental approach. And when you're trying to say, when you're trying to break ground, so we just established in the paper they established, uh, rural entrepreneurship is not studied very often. So when you're trying to establish and talk about something that hasn't been studied very often, it's very hard to find a gap in that topic because no one's talking about it. Interesting. So they're saying that's one of the reasons this hasn't been studied. This is the problem. Our approach is usually to find these gaps and because people aren't even talking about rural entrepreneurship, it doesn't matter. Second criteria, we try to find things that have uh, generalizability. In other words, they're not dependent on the context. We could generalize them to all of entrepreneurship. So we take our, our friends here at DV8 and we say, it doesn't matter that they're here in Boulder. Like we want to find insights about them that we apply anywhere. And what they're arguing is when you do that, you remove the reason for studying rural entrepreneurship because the context is what really matters here. That's what might provide these entrepreneurs some kind of advantage. It's them being embedded in these unique, localized, often traditional contexts where they can know their network, where they can find need to create something new. That's what's important. So there's a reason they don't study that. And then they talk about this idea of dichotomy. And this goes back to uh, pragmatist philosophers like John Dewey. It's an American tradition of thought of taking things and saying, rather than it's important to have a distinction that we're going to dichotomize them, then we're going to say they are separate and do not cross. And they talk about the dichotomy in urban versus rural entrepreneurship, which we all know doesn't make any sense. Because if you think about a rural entrepreneur, of course, they're going to have some interaction. I mean, they're not going to just only sell in their community because they're, they're customer bases. That's right. Day. But I have to tell you that after speaking to hundreds of rural entrepreneurs or potential entrepreneurs, they feel left out. Yes. They actually feel alienated and they don't know what to do right and hopefully um, this paper can shed some light on some practical things um, that these folks can uh, yeah. take advantage of yeah so the, the the practical prescriptions in this paper um, are are more about what we can do from a research perspective to try to help uh, advance research in rural entrepreneurship so we would actually have an answer to that question because mm -hmm. I don't think we do uh, and actually, uh, I love the way this paper ends. They say, uh, if I can just flip to it very quickly, the specific circumstances related to rural entrepreneurship are poignant, colorful, and illustrative of key steps the field must take to correct its course. By correct its course, I mean to actually study this, right. this issue. The question now becomes, how will we respond? Does management's approach to rural entrepreneurship suggest that we are ready or remiss? And I think they're trying to strongly, again, it's a perspective that we're pretty remiss. They do have some practical things that I think are interesting. Um, so if we look at the back of it, he's got this table here. Mm -hmm. And they talk about, uh, the research tells us that one thing we do know about rural entrepreneurs, they tend to have a sparser network. 
Now, does um, that take though an academic to figure that out, or a guy that could just drive? Well, a guy could tell you that, but but then but then the question becomes: Does that sparse network actually help them, or does it hurt them? Now, we could argue. Of course, we think about resource. Think about it. The bigger my network, the better off I am. Right. Correct. Okay. Is that necessarily true? Right. I mean, what if I just have a huge network of sort of very peripheral kind of contacts? But in reality. Let's talk about maybe there's two entrepreneurs or people willing to admit that they're entrepreneurs in sure. these towns. Right, right. And you may be that, talking right, thousands, yeah. right? Yeah. But I'm talking there needs to be some sort of critical mass. Right, right. And maybe beyond the critical mass, I don't know. That's that's not that's not a point for me even to get into argue. But I'd love to know what is that critical mass for people that are out in the country right now. And and my advice without um, reading the paper is yeah, yeah, th- sure. in that situation, the bigger the network, the better uh, the, the higher chances of success that you'll have right. because there's there's a people that in a sense that uh, you can rely on that fill in needs that you may not have and vice versa right yeah yeah they, and they actually talk a lot about that in the paper they talk about this idea that like look you, you have to let go of this idea that somehow rural entrepreneurs are isolated from their urban counterparts or they can't make those connections. We need to understand a or lot they don't more have about how that happens. Well, okay, right. I mean, that. we could talk about infrastructure and all other issues as right, well. Right, right, right. Uh, the other aspect they talk about is is example setting and education. So exactly what uh, what you guys are doing and what I, I hope to become more involved in as we go forward right. is figuring out, you know, how do you normalize entrepreneurship as a career path in rural communities where there may not be many successful entrepreneurs? That's right. How do you make that something that is not like some weird, uh, strange sounding thing, but more like, you know, farmers are the ultimate entrepreneur in yeah. my humble opinion. I totally agree. I mean, they, uh, they struggle with all sorts of things that all entrepreneurs struggle with, but on a much more tangible and day-to-day and frankly difficult basis a lot of the time. So I think uh, those kinds of things are prescriptions that come out of here. And then the, the other aspect that I think is, is interesting here, they talk about hyper-contextualizing entrepreneurship. What does that mean exactly? Okay, so that means rather than saying, you know, we need to go teach these, these folks in rural communities the things that will work when you are here in Boulder and you're trying to do your tech startup and get into an incubator. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to demean these things. These are incredibly valuable things that happen here, but do they really help someone like, you know, talk about some of the businesses you've worked with? Oh like, no. I mean, is they in any way useful to them? It's, it's not an option, right? It's not an option for just for, uh, geographic reasons for um, cash resources, right? Yeah. These these businesses are being started on shoestrings, right? Right, and that's it's a it's an amazing and it's an amazing testament to the individuals that are doing this. But um, yeah, they they do not they would never have access to the types of resources right. uh, that you're you're referring to. Yeah, and so and so figuring out how do you help people do that more effectively. Now there are a few papers that are referenced in this study that talk about that. Uh, one's a, a very famous one. Uh, Ted Baker is the, the first author on it uh, that talks about bricolage, the idea of making do with what's at hand. Mm-hmm. And they actually were studying rural entrepreneurs and showed they actually were incredibly creative at using their resources. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think what this study does is gives you what you want exactly. No. Uh, it doesn't say, hey, Brad, here's some things. But does it at least maybe give you a way to think about like a different approach to when so you go here, and here, Here's what it does for me okay. beyond maybe there aren't a bunch of practical takeaways. Right. If you're talking about, if this paper helps 
shine a spotlight right. on the issue, yes. that's a great thing. That's what they're trying to do here. Okay, so that's absolutely so then what 100% is. I'm behind the mission yeah. there. Yeah. Um, to me, though, I don't live in the world that I know that this problem exists. The, I, the light's already been turned on in my brain. Yeah. Um, but if this can bring other people yeah. and other really good minds to attacking these problems, all for it. That's, that's what they're, they're up to here. That's what they're trying to do. It, it's interesting because they're, they're kind of saying, look, you guys, um, this is a huge aspect. And they're really questioning. I, I know you, you have uh, mixed feelings about this quote, but I thought it was great. Because, uh, you know, universities, we sometimes can get caught up in, like, what's the, what's the hot thing? We certainly see our students do that, right? Sure. And entrepreneurs uh, can, too, right? Yeah. Shiny ball. So, so I know you think this is a little pretentious. I like it, though. Maybe because I'm a pretentious academic. While there's little <laughs> doubt that digital forms of entrepreneurship might enjoy higher levels of total factor productivity, the relative prosperity of economies in the global north will not be sustained by armies of social media influencers selling each other fashion tips and travel suggestions. Yeah, and my so, response to that is no shit. <laughs> yeah, but, but when you say that, do your students know that? Or do they? I mean, that's so a great question. That's, that's and what I, I, I love. I mean, and that's exactly what I'm talking about that the paper implies is like going out and trying to teach people in rural communities. Oh, well, you know, you know, social media is where it's at. And like, yeah. oh, like there's people. And okay, here's, here's something I want to do. And, uh, you didn't read the paper, right? Uh, correct. All right, I'm going to read you two vignettes. You tell me where, if, uh, okay. I want you to tell me if one is located in rural Colorado or here in Boulder. Okay. Uh, Squash by Sam is doing a brisk business, fresh from the fields. Sam's large crates of zucchini, pumpkin, butternut, acorn, and delicata sell out in under an hour. Less than 20 feet away, Mountain Song, a local producer of artisanal cheese, also packs up after another successful morning, having sold out 30 pounds of homemade cheese for a bounty of 754 Dollars. Now, second vignette. Literally and figuratively, a thousand miles away, Cole Paulson and David Helm break open another case of Red Bull. They have been coding a web application using Ruby on Rails for the past 30 hours, but are still only two-thirds finished with contracted work that must be written, tested, and uploaded before the end of the week. Which right. one's the urban? Which one's um, the I guess the urban one would be the first with the farmer's market. Oh, you're too smart for me. <laughs> um, and the coders... <laughs> They can live anywhere, right? No, why would you say? Yeah, so that's that's just it. Because, because I've met these people. Yeah, yeah. And be, if I awesome. hadn't worked out there, I would have gone the other way. Okay, cool. And that's and that's exactly what these guys are trying to point out in this paper is we make some generalizations that these rural business. And by the way, the uh, the second one uh, is located in rural Arkansas. Okay. The first one was like uh, two miles from Brooklyn. So interesting. Uh, so it's it's really interesting that they're showing through these vignettes now now you've actually worked in rural communities but to me you know if you read that i'll be honest if i'd read that I'd be like, oh yeah that's probably you know the coding's probably happening in a big city somewhere, sure right it makes probably sense probably in berlin it fits into everybody's stereotype yeah, exactly about what and that's their thing here they're talking about this idea of dichotomy when you right. create that dichotomy you close your mind down to what the opportunities are for these rural businesses and you try to prescribe things that may not make any sense and vice versa totally the emergent of craft industries such as the one I think of DV8 as being a craft industry. They're making small batch, really high quality vodka and spirits mm -hmm. uh, for a very localized community. Uh, of course, they'll expand. Uh, right. They already are in Hazel's, which is an awesome other local business. But you know, it's this idea that like, you know, when we think about opportunity, let's not take the context and let that define what may or may not be an opportunity, but let's not also say context doesn't matter. 
I, and I agree it with absolutely that. Absolutely does. But let me go one step farther. Sure. Is that I think that if you had read read those two vignettes to a rural community group, yeah. that they actually may have gone with the stereotypical thinking. Yes. And, and so they, yes. in a sense, absolutely. have bought into the stereotype right. as well. So there is a mindset that needs to slowly be helped change yeah. in these rural communities yeah. and the fact that we can do this. Right. And so to take it back to why academia uh, can be useful, this is a long running conversation ever since the age of enlightenment um, that uh, Dewey and other pragmatist philosophers and other scholars of, of, of what was called American pragmatism uh, have talked about and said like, dichotomies, I, I will misquote Dewey, so forgive me. Dichotomies are not only conversation killers, they're thought killers. Yep. And, I and so that. that's what this is, is illuminating. And hopefully this is useful in that it gets into the hands of those that are trying to teach entrepreneurship in rural areas, uh, like yourself, uh, and, and, and they start to think, well, I need to think about this differently. And then they have a whole slew of research questions. Now tell me, they don't have the answers here. But sure. Would these research questions be uh, helpful to the extent... How does the interaction of alternative social, cultural, and technological logics in a rural venturing yield novel innovations? And what they mean by that is how do, uh, how do entrepreneurs in a rural community coming from very different backgrounds and, bi and biases than those in an urban community, how does that yield novelty perhaps? Yeah. Do you see that? I don't know. I, mean, um, I, I, I actually, haven't studied it. I actually do, but I, I, once again, I think it's this confidence level, and um, I think that some of the rural entrepreneurs. Now, I can never paint with a general brush that sure, of course, they all think yeah. that. But I, mean, I, but, but there are a large percentage of them that I've talked to that don't believe in their themselves enough right. that somebody else must be doing this in the big city where they have yeah, access right, to these other right. resources. Yeah. So why should I even start? Yeah, and, and I so think it's that flipping that's a problem. That, it's flipping that narrative for them. Correct. And saying you actually are the ones that can come up with something Correct. unique. Correct, uh, because you know. there could be a bunch of lemmings somewhere else. Exactly. That's right. And so, so I don't know. So what do you think? Useful? I think I, I, so so I think it's, it was very useful to me <laughs> in the fact that if this lens is now shifting to how do we help rural communities, I'm all for it. Okay. Um, I do think that there is a lot of verbiage in there, and I do yeah, not Yeah, mean, yeah, yeah, sure. But, but once again, it's all about the focus, the lens, and how can we provide tools for these folks that really, really need them. And I think this is a start. So I'm, I'm good with that. Okay, cool. Good enough for me then. Uh, I will say kudos to Rick and his co-authors. I think uh, getting this in one of the Academy journals, uh, this is an influential journal. Yep. This is the journal. This is the kind of piece that people publish. And, and for me, it, it made me think about, well, hey, I should go talk to Brad and, sure. and maybe we could do a study on how these entrepreneurs do this and how it's different. I mean, you and I are in the classroom with a bunch of urban entrepreneurs. Well, yep. That's why I call people in Boulder. Yep. And then there's an opportunity to go out and, stu and, and, and study and understand these folks and how they might think differently or how we might help them or how they're the same. Is it your expectation that this paper actually could start the focus on rural communities? Yeah, it's because of the thing we talked about at the beginning of our conversation, the gap. Mm -hmm. Now there's something published saying there's a gap. So now when I want to write my paper, I can hunt, I can look hunt, for the gap. I can cite uh, hunt at all 2020 when this paper comes out and say there's a gap. And they said there's a gap. It's not just me saying there's a gap. Right. And so what this kind of a paper does is that it sort of breaks open uh, the space for there to be more research in this. Mm -hmm. um, for what it's worth, I don't think that's the way great research gets written anyway, okay. but it does uh, turn the focus and allow more of it to happen. And uh, next time, maybe we'll talk about one of these other papers, which I do think one of them uh, really does 
uh, open up the path to great, right. to great research And you know, and one, one of our goals here is let's distill this and, and find some tools that can help people that are listening to our yeah. podcast right now. Yeah. Um, the other thing I'd like to say is if um, people are, have questions or would like to email us, oh, um, Kat, Catherine, who you'll hear from at the end of this, yep. um, can provide all of the contact information yep. so that um, hopefully we can answer a few uh, listeners' questions every every time we get to Oh, that would be awesome if people like wrote in and then, yeah. uh, we could, uh, yeah. Yeah, especially with uh, harsh criticism, we would love that. Oh, I'm all, uh, yeah, all about we, real criticism. Be, uh, like, you know, telling us, we, Rick, write in. I know, I know you're capable of very harsh criticism, my friend. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, write in, tell us how we got it wrong. In fact, I would love to have have Rick on the show. I think he'd be okay. great. Uh, so awesome. So we have a lot of a lot of things in store though in the upcoming weeks with us. Yeah, I'm really excited to move forward, Jeff. Yeah, and um, I think that we can actually help um, stimulate some of the change that we've discussed. Yeah, I hope so. Uh, and our goal with this going forward, uh, you know, perhaps we'll be talking about one paper. Uh, we also want to have guests on. Yep. So if you uh, you're an academic out there who's published a paper recently about entrepreneurship, anything about entrepreneurship. Right. Write to us. Or if you're a practical entrepreneur like myself, come on and give me a little bit yeah, of Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that would be great. I mean, we would love to have guests on from the Boulder community or further abroad. Uh, and uh, what would be really fun, Brad, is if we could, uh, you know, being the, the clever guys we are, we could outsource and get the author to come talk to a guest uh, entrepreneur. And then we could just sort of, you know, have Sit more. Back. Wonderful products like DV8 bourbon. Yeah, uh, thanks. So, I, th I think we should have a bourbon right now. Thank you very I, much. I agree. That's awesome. great. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for okay. doing this with me. All right, well, so that's it for the first episode of Creative Distillation. Hopefully um, you found it interesting and uh, we will be working on uh, these other two papers in the coming episodes. We'll also get some guests in here. Uh, and again, please write to us if you have ideas, suggestions, comments, uh, vicious critiques, we welcome it all. Okay. DV8, visit, all right. fantastic products. All right, thank you. Thank you.